Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. What will happen? Princes and kings and the city will go on forever. This is God's heart. This is his desire for every person. Just bring you into my eternal kingdom. That's God's heart. That's his, that's his love. When people say, no, forget you. We're not interested. We, we don't care about your son. We don't care about any of that stuff. We want to do our own thing. Don't tell me how to live my life. They have to face the holy judgment of God, the justice of God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 16 through 20. Now here's Pastor Brian. You know, there's a boundary on those oceans so they don't come in and, and just inundate everything. Guess why that boundary's there? God says, I put it there. <laughs> you know, it's like we should think about these things. And yet we don't. That's the, that's the problem with sinful people is we're, we're blinded to reality. So he goes on to say, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up and pull it down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, then I will relent. And verse nine, the instant I speak concerning a nation or a kingdom to build it up and plant it, if the nation then decides that it's gonna do evil in my sight and not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I had said that I would benefit. And notice there, that nation, now, Jeremiah is talking to his nation, but it's a pretty much an all-inclusive statement here for all of the nations. This has application to all nations. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And, but for those who reject the Lord, whatever nation it is that rejects whatever revelation of God they've received, that then becomes the basis by which the judgment comes upon them. And so down in verse 12, the people said, that is hopeless, so we will walk according to our own plans. So they're resisting God's, God's call to turn. We're gonna walk on our own plans and obey the dictates of his evil heart. Everyone's gonna obey the dictates of his evil heart. Now, just, I said I wanted to say something about the dictates of the evil heart. So the dictates of the evil heart, again, I've said it before, you've heard it. It's basically everyone doing what they think is right. It's what we read in Judges, the the people, they did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel at the time and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is where we are today. Now, this would be referred to by sociologists or philosophers and people like that. This is a, a time where it's now being referred to as a postmodern time. And one of the chief marks of postmodernism is relativism. So all truth is relative, there's no absolute truth. And basically, everyone determines truth for themselves. 
So whatever you feel to be true is what is true. And then that's how you live your life. And nobody can tell you anything different. That's pretty much what we're talking about here. Now, my point is this. It's called postmodernism today, but this is exactly the mentality of Judah at the time of Jeremiah. It's the exact same mentality. there's There's nothing different about it. Everyone just did according to the dictates of their own heart. And that's the kind of world that we are living in more and more and more. And that's why we see some of the craziest things that uh, imaginable happening around us. And everybody seems to be okay with it. Everybody seems to say that, you know, this is the way it should be. Why? Because, well, that's their truth. That's what they feel is right. That's what's right for them. And, and you can't say that that's not right for them because that's not yours to determine. That's for them to determine. So that, that's the mentality today. I was listening to um, a lecture by a professor of mine yesterday, and he was talking about the difference in questions over the past couple of decades. So he's a little bit younger than I am. You know, he started campus ministry and he's kind of talking about the questions that were asked back in, you know, maybe the, the 80s and even the 90s. And they were, they were questions that had to do more with the ideas of truth. You know, how do we know that, that there is a God? Or how do we know that Jesus is the son of God? Or how do we know that the Bible is the word of God? And those are the kinds of questions that were, foremost in the minds of people today. And they're still in the minds of many people as well. But, but he was saying in his experience in the campus ministries, especially with younger generations, it's really not those kind of questions anymore. Questions are more about personal kinds of things. And one of them is, who is God to tell me how I should live my life? And who, what, who do Christians think they are that they could tell me what's right or wrong for me. So you see, that just goes back to show that there's this, this full embracing of this idea that I am my own God. I decide right and wrong. I decide who I am and what is best for me. I do that out of the dictates of my own heart. So all that to say... There's nothing new under the sun. It's called postmodernism because it came after a period of time in the Western world known as modernism. But it's not really modern or postmodern. It's ancient. It's as old as human beings, this kind of mentality. So verse 18 of chapter 18, we need to go there. So Jeremiah is, of course, obeying the Lord, and he's proclaiming what God told him to proclaim. And then they said, come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, no word from the prophet. So they're just, Jeremiah is, he's dead wrong. He is absolutely wrong. What is he talking about? The law is not going to perish from the priest, the counsel from the wise, the the word from the prophet, come, let us attack him with the tongue and let us not give heed to any of his words. 
Give heed to me, O Lord, Jeremiah says, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. Shall evil be repaid for good? For they have dug a pit for my life. Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them. Jeremiah saying, Lord, you know, I've even pleaded with you for them. I've even prayed for them. And, and now this is what they're doing to me. And so he says, turn away. I, I prayed that you would turn away your wrath from them, but now deliver up their children to famine and pour out their blood by the force of the sword. So Jeremiah just prays this prayer against them. And then down in the latter part of verse 22, for they have dug a pit to take me and hidden snares for my feet. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. And so they were conspiring to kill Jeremiah. And so chapter 19 is the message of the broken flask. Thus says the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priest. And then down in verse 10, then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who are with you and say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, even so I will break this people in this city as one breaks a potter's vessel which cannot be made whole again and they shall bury them in Tophet till there is no place to bury. So again, another illustration that, that Jeremiah is to act out before them to show the, the coming judgment. And so now we come to chapter 20. Now, Pashur, the son of Emer, the priest, who was also the chief governor of the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Okay, so this guy is, he's kind of like the head of the temple police force. That's the description given to him here. So he thinks that Jeremiah is, that his message is one contrary to what the temple stands for. And so he's going to come against Jeremiah. And so Pashir struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. So here it has now gotten really, really real and brutal for Jeremiah. So the threats, the threats, the threats have been coming and now he is actually taken and he's arrested. And so it happened on the next day that Pashur brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said to him, the Lord has not called your name Pashur, but Magor Misabib. Magor Misabib. God's given you a new name. And your new name is fear on every side. So he's now named the reality that he's going to live and the people are going to live. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies and your eyes shall see it. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword." 
And down in verse six, and you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die and be buried there, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. Wow. Verse seven. Here's Jeremiah's lament. O Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. My translation, New King James, reads, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. Every other translation reads deceived, including the King James Version, interestingly. The word here is translated variously, but majority of the time it is translated deceived. And Jeremiah is, again, as as we've seen before, Jeremiah is just, He's just speaking his heart and mind to God. He's not holding back anything. And at this point, remember, the Lord spoke to him, said, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna make you like a bronze wall, an iron pillar, and, and all of this. But now he's just been put in stocks. And this, this persecution is, is really, he's, he's overwhelmed by this. And so he, this is how he feels. Lord, you deceived me, and, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and I have, and, and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made a reproach and a derision to me daily. So, Again, this is just the, the raw emotion of Jeremiah feeling like, Lord, you, you fooled me. You know, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I thought we were going to do. That's another way of understanding what he's saying. And then look at verse nine. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name. God I resign. I am no longer your prophet. You're going to treat me like this? I'm done. I mean, that's pretty much what he's doing. You know, it's, it's a little bit reminiscent of Moses, right? Moses had those moments as well where Moses is like, what did you do? You brought me out here to kill me? And why have you put this burden on me? I, I quit. And again, you know, I've emphasized this before, but let me just come back to it. You know, the beauty of this is the candidness of Jeremiah and the, the fact that God, God's not bothered by this. God's not ruffled by this. God understands. He knows our frame. He knows we are dust. He knows that we have limitations. He knows we're going to have disappointments. And so when Jeremiah comes and says, I quit, look what happened. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. Wow. He tried to quit, but he couldn't because the word of the Lord was just burning within him. And that's how God renewed him and restored him in, in that calling, that prophetic calling. He just put his word in him in such a way that Jeremiah couldn't contain it. And so... For I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched 
for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him and we will take our revenge upon him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, you test the righteous and you see the mind and heart. Let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. Now, the next verse is a little bit perplexing because he, he just, you know, comes out of this, this deep pit and comes to a place of praising the Lord, rejoicing, re, trusting again in the Lord. But then suddenly verse 14 says, cursed be the day which I was born. And I think the best way to understand this is that Jeremiah is not, Jeremiah, as we said at the very beginning, it's hard to trace a chronological order in Jeremiah. And it seems here that what Jeremiah is doing, so the, the chronological order stops in verse 13 and verse 14 takes us back to his mentality when he was in that place of saying, I'm done, I'm not speaking for you anymore. And this is where he was at then. Cursed, this, is, this was his attitude. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father saying, a male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon because he did not kill me from the womb that my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow that the day should be consumed with shame? So Jeremiah, during that season, he is having a lapse of faith. And he's basically saying, I don't, the plan of God is not a good plan. I wish I was never born. I would rather have never been born than to be living through this moment. So this is the depths of despair that, that he was going to. But again, the Lord brought him through it by bringing his word. And I, and I think, I'm just guessing here, but I think when Jeremiah says his word is welling up in me, I think it was just the reality of the call of God and, and being filled with the spirit and the word of God that lifted him out of this pit. And this is how we're all lifted out of the pit. We're lifted out of the pit by the word of God. The word of God comes in those times of desperation and those times of despair and God brings us his word and it restores us and it lifts us up and it gives us the, the power to keep going, the determination to keep going. Now, one other thing. Jeremiah is, as we can see here, he's calling down judgment on these people who are persecuting him. And some would say, well, 
he's not a very good Christian. I mean, you know, he should be loving his enemies. And Jesus did tell us to love our enemies, for sure. And yet, I think we have to understand that Jeremiah, for Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a representative of the Lord. You know, in Psalm 139, uh, David said, he spoke about those that he hated. Do not I hate those who hate you, O Lord. I hate them with a perfect hatred. And I think what that means is that David's hatred for them was not personal. It wasn't he hated them. He was God's representative. He was speaking for God and their hatred and their animosity was ultimately against God. And this was the, that attitude back toward those who were against the Lord. And I think Jeremiah, uh, we know Jeremiah loves the people. He's, he pleads for them. He prays for them. He wants the best for them. But yet in their continued revolt and resistance to God, he's speaking that, that prophetic word of vengeance and judgment. Remember, the scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Now, that's not a picture of God that most people want to look at today. But we do have to recognize that God is love, but he is equally just and holy. And we can't separate those things. We can't just take out the, the pieces that we don't like. I was listening to a conversation this week between two theologians, and it was on the, the issue of substitutionary atonement, which means that, that Jesus was basically, penal substitutionary atonement means that Jesus was basically punished instead of us. And one theologian was William Lane Craig, was there to support that view as being the biblical view. And the other theologian, a guy named Greg Boyd, was there to oppose that. And for Greg Boyd, his lens of God is, is only a lens of love. God is love, so judgment doesn't fit in his view of God. So therefore, the, the passages that talk about judgment and things like that, that's not God actually judging people. It's just the consequences of their sin or what's judging them and so forth. But my point is, he has a, an imbalanced and an improper understanding of the nature of God. God is love, yes, but God is holy as well, and he is just. And really, if he is love, then he has to be just. You can't have true love and injustice. That, those two cannot coexist. And so when we see these judgment passages and we think of the severity of this, we have to remember that, I mean, God's heart, like we already saw, you know, hey, keep the Sabbath and this is what'll happen. Princes and kings and the city will go on forever. This is God's heart. This is his desire for every person. Just follow me, do what I said. Put your trust in my son. Your life's gonna be blessed. I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna bring you into my eternal kingdom. That's God's heart. That's his desire. That's his love. But when people say, no, forget you. We're not interested. We, we don't care about your son. We don't care about any of that stuff. We want to do our own thing. Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. Then they have to face the holy judgment of God, the justice of God. And so the Bible keeps that tension for us. It's there and 
it will always be there. For the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. Can a Christian become demon-possessed? Is there really an unseen spiritual battle behind large-scale world events and the details of individual lives? If you've ever wondered about the unseen spiritual realm and its influence upon the physical world, then this month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will answer these very questions. If you want to better understand the spiritual battle that we're involved in as Christians, how to recognize the tactics of the enemy, and how to live a victorious Christian life, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Jeremiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.